Since West Virginia created its independence back in 1863, we the people have become well known for many reasons. We're kind and family oriented, taking care of our loved ones, neighbors, and anyone else in need of a helping hand. We're leaders, not afraid to step up and get the job done because it's what we were taught to do. Yes, there are occasional stereotypes, but there's no question West Virginia's best resource is its people. And although West Virginians don't always see eye to eye on the political front, we're not closed-minded. And with this podcast, me, Joshua Higginbotham, a Republican in the House of Delegates, and me, Kayla Young, a Democrat in the House of Delegates, will share points of view on what we think will allow West Virginia to succeed in the 21st century. We'll also bring others on to talk about our state's hurdles. Our goal is to help bring the state together by breaking down political barriers, promoting teamwork, and pushing our state into the right direction. So join us on this journey. This This is is Two two Sides sides of the the Same same Mountain. mountain. Hi, Senator. Good to see you again. It's been so long. (laughs) How are you? It's been a half hour at least. At least. I know you miss me, so it's fine. Um, So Josh and I started a podcast. It's called Two Sides of the Same Mountain, and it's going to be do a bipartisan podcast talking about different issues and just, you know, getting different takes on the same issue. And so we know that you and Senator Capito like to do the same thing. So we thought for our big grand opening, we'd have both of you on. So we're speaking to you and then we're going to talk to her um, next week. Oh, okay. I thought we were both on the same time. She's, that would be impossible with your schedules, <laughs> but we tried. Um, okay, so we just want to talk about um, the recent infrastructure bill that passed. And right. could you talk to us a little bit about it just in general and also about how it's going to impact West Virginia specifically? Well, first of all, okay, let me just thank both of you all, you and Josh, for having me and, and uh, a little better understanding of how this all happened. The infrastructure bill, when it all came about, at first going to be introduced, it was over four trillion dollars, and it was everything kind of wound into one, right? Remember that. And I looked at the bill, and I just told Chuck Schumer, I said, Chuck, these are two complete subject matters different. One is what we call hard infrastructure, traditional infrastructure, water, sewer, roads, bridges, internet, on and on and on and on. Okay, and and um, and then the other one is more, was more of a transitional infrastructure, human transitional infrastructure more so. So I said the two ought to be separated. So we did. We separated those in the Senate. And then we had a bipartisan group start working together because we, you know, they want to get rid of the filibuster. And uh, I have not been in favor or am I in favor because I have been in both the minority and the majority. And I saw how many times we used the filibuster to stop Donald Trump from doing some things that would be horrible for our country. And I know what goes around comes around. So it's always best to work through these if you can. And that's why they call us the most deliberate body in the world. You have to deliberate. Sometimes it takes longer to get, uh, to get basically all sides buying onto it or more agreement. So we need 10 right now with a 50-50. It takes 60 votes to move on to a piece of legislation. So we were able to pass this bipartisan infrastructure bill with all the good things that are going to be done throughout every part of our country with 69 votes. That's 19 Republicans, 50 Democrats, and only 30 voted against it. So that's a tremendous accomplishment in the most toxic times of our, time, of our life and the most divisive times 
in the political history that I've ever been involved in. So do I think that we can do it again? Absolutely. But we need to look at what we've been able to accomplish. There's going to be $5.6 billion coming just to the state of West Virginia. $5.6 billion. That's a lot of money on top of what we've already spent. So we're going to receive $190 million for various COVID relief bills and uh, roads and bridges. Uh, there's another uh, $3 billion for federal highway uh, apportioned programs, $506 million for bridge replacement and repairs over five years, nearly $200 million through funding of the Appalachian Development Highway System. So things that we haven't been able, there's going to be another program that we can also participate, $12.5 billion for the bridge investment program um, for economic significant bridges. That means bridges that basically you cannot economically withstand any of these bridges going down. Mm -hmm. So they must be replaced or repaired. Uh, orphan wells, we're gonna, there's going to be $4.7 billion to plug orphan wells. In West Virginia, we have accounted for at least 4,646 orphan wells. Yep. So there's an awful lot of jobs that are going to go with that. Abandoned mine reclamation, all of the mine sites that have been, have been abandoned and left, and basically the, uh, uh, the processes as far as uh, bonding did mm. not pay or they went through bankruptcy and walked away from their obligations. We have uh, 11.3 billion going towards that, Kayla. And with that, we have in West Virginia, 140,000 acres of unfunded AML problems. So there's a tremendous amount of work. There's a tremendous amount of work that's going to go into that. That'd be 1.78 billion just right there. So we have resilience upgrades uh, uh, for our systems, uh, state energy programs we're working on, um, everything, carbon energy technologies, demonstration projects. We also are doing something with WVU on rare earth minerals mm -hmm. by using the waste stream from our mines and, and extracting the uh, earth minerals from. This is a tremendous bill that's been in the making for a long time. There's been 30 years of, of basically um, disrepair. We've had unfunded uh, and uh, unfunded repairs have gone. Uh, so our uh, deferred maintenance is horrible. Every president for the last 30 years has been talking about an infrastructure bill such as this. We yeah. finally have it. And over an eight-year period, it's $1.2 so I think there's a lot of good things in here and there's not a place in America that's not going to be affected. Yeah. Well, S Senator Manchin, I, I recently heard you speaking at the West Virginia Business Summit and I, I thought that you and Gail both did an excellent job. Thanks, um, Josh. But, but you, you had mentioned the fiscal impact of not only this bill, but, but, but also the reconciliation package that uh, uh, you know, is currently going. Uh, and, and please clarify if I'm mistaken, but uh, I believe the House wants to vote on the larger package before they run infrastructure. Is that correct? That's what we're hearing from the House. That's what I hear uh, that they've been stating that they won't vote on on the bill that was already passed, the Senate, in a bipartisan way that they're not going to vote on unless mm -hmm. they get their big package. Sure. So I can't believe they would take that position. We've never taken any position to hold mm -hmm. one bill hostage over the other. And I think you all know better than anybody else. You take a win when you can get a win. You don't right. leverage and try to take and jeopardize losing uh, a win. Uh, and I said, well, they, they say 
that's like taking a, a defeat out of the jaws of victory. Yeah, that's or very the perfect good point. being the enemy of the good, yeah. Well, and something that you've been really honing in on is something that I think Kayla and I's generation are very passionate about, uh, the, the national debt. I mean, we're almost $30 trillion in debt, uh, and it's going to be our generation uh, who's going to be paying it off, and our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. Um, so, um, you know, could you talk a little bit about that and, and why, um, uh, you know, why there's been so much of a struggle uh, the past couple of years on this? Let me give you a little bit about debt, Josh, okay? We were $28.7 trillion this morning in debt. $2.54 trillion this year alone, fiscal year already. Since October of 2020, our debt has grown at an average of $8.6 billion per day. Since President Bush took office 20 years ago, we've added $23 trillion in debt. In two decades, $23 trillion. Never in the history of our country. We ever done anything like that, even during the war, never. So we're in uncharted territory. So anything that I have said, you know, we're writing checks, which you just alluded to, that our children and grandchildren definitely can't cash. We're putting them in one heck of a bind. So I'm worried about that. And I think Kayla heard me speak earlier about this. That has to be considered. You just can't throw caution to the wind. And you know what? You all have to work with a balanced budget amendment every day. I had to do it as governor every week, like clockwork on Tuesday afternoon. All the budget people would come into my office as governor. We look at what our forecast was. We look at what our obligations were. And I had to make some decisions on either make adjustments or we were okay. Uh, but not here, not when you're printing your own money. I guess you don't have to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting. We do have to, in the state house, we have to have a balanced budget, but you guys constantly are writing checks that we don't know how we're going to cash, but hopefully, you know, we'll figure it out. And as we spoke earlier, hopefully we can do that by getting some more people in the workforce and not overheating the economy. I know that's a, something we're all super worried about. Um, yeah. So Senator, what I want to know, this infrastructure package is so big and there's so many different things in it. What is your absolute number one favorite thing? Well, it's basically energy. It's mm -hmm. basically, that's, that comes in my, that's my committee. That's what I worked on and that's what we produced for this. But that's one of the ones I think that holds the key to where we go and how we go and how we clean up our environment. And we do it through innovation, not elimination. And I've talked about this, Kayla, many, many times. There in the world today, with the amount of people that we have and the amount of industrialization that's going on around the world, pollution's coming uh, from every part. Mm -hmm. in, the next, in the next decade, next 10 years, 90%, it's said that 90% of all pollution will come from Asia. So that's China predominantly, the mm -hmm. largest emitter right now. We have been the largest emitter for a long time. And mm -hmm. they're all saying, well, you all built your economy based on pollution, now you're gonna stop us? The bottom line is we never had the technology back then, but we had the Clean Air Act back in the 80s and 90s. We've got scrubbers now, so we don't have uh, sulfur going into the air. We don't have noxious gases going in, and we don't have particulates going in. We've been able to take all that like John Amos. They've been scrubbed, low NOx boilers, and bag houses. What we haven't done is been able to basically find and unlock that carbon capture sequestration utilization that's what needs to be done and i have said this if we don't invest money and we 
in this bill here, we invested $12 billion, $12 billion for research and development and carbon capture. And that's the one thing, if you want to clean up and you want to save planet Earth, then you better find a way to capture the carbon because it's going to happen. And the rest of the world is not going to follow suit. So where I'm having some trouble with this administration, to a certain extent, they want to basically eliminate all uh, coal-fired plants by 2030. Well, in a perfect world, if you had something else to say, okay, we're going to we're going to replicate, and we're going to take this coal-fired plant, and we're going to put another plant there that has no CO2, mm -hmm. so you have reliable power. We don't have that technology yet. We're not there. I mean, so you could use we. There are options. There's nuclear. There's solar. There's wind. You all, you all have a law in West Virginia. Oh, I know. Any nuclear. So I'm hoping you change that. I'm hoping so because, too. Because we can bring nuclear into some of these. Let's take the London, the London plant up here, mm -hmm. above, uh, above Montgomery, going that direction on Route 60. We could put a modular nuclear plant in there. It'd be tremendous. It'd be low, low use. Uh, it'd be low grade uranium. Mm -hmm. Very safe. Terra Power. We know they're they're doing yeah. it in Wyoming now. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Yeah, Josh and I were fortunate enough to be on a call with Terra Power talking about switching coal-fired power plants to nuclear because I know we don't want to lose those jobs, but we also know that, that AEP can shut down all three of the plants in West Virginia and get the energy elsewhere without, without replacing the jobs. So we have to figure out what's next well, for, they can't, for these communities. Kayla, Kayla, they really can't because they don't have the reliability. The system doesn't have the reliability. And there is money nope. for grid resiliency in the bill, right? There's grid resiliency, but still yet you have to have something pumping it, energy into that grid. Sure. Right now, right now uh, most of West Virginia's power, what we consume and what we don't consume is basically sent out. So we right. have, we're an exporter of power. A lot of the East Coast is electrified because of us. Mm -hmm. They have the energy. There's nothing to replace in the PJM system the amount of power that we put into it from renewables or any other sources. Mm -hmm. And until that happens, that's not going to happen in eight years. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. I, I agree, Senator. And, and the unfortunate thing is almost all of those power plants that uh, AEP that you all mentioned, they're almost all exclusively in my district <laughs> uh, here in the Canal Valley and the Ohio Valley. So I'm, yeah. I'm very much interested in, in, uh, in, in possibly converting some of these plants in the, in the future. Uh, I mean, it's all about economics. Uh, my, my final question, Senator, um, uh, is what is not in this bill that you would have liked to have seen? I know there's always negotiation, but what if there's one big thing that you would have wanted in it, what, what would it be? We, you know, the things that we worked on is the transitions and how do we transition. And the thing that I, that I wanted to see was basically the repurposing. And I think we put money in there, but not enough. Uh, the, yeah, 48C tax credit was one that we had in there. 48C tax credits, basically what it was allowing to do, it allowed companies that could come in, for, we had $4 billion set aside just for coal property, just for coal country. So if a coal plant or a coal mine had closed anywhere in the United States, then there would be a, a tax credit, we called it 48C, and it would be 30% of their tax responsibility or liabilities could be offset with this credit if they came and located into one of these areas. Now we're still working on getting that in there and we'll get it done sooner or later. But that 48C tax credit was something that we worked very hard. It was in there up until the end. They pulled it out for the $8 billion. Four billion went to, uh, to uh, 
transportation for vehicles. So any place in America that was building cars, parts for cars or something of that sort would qualify. And anybody that was mining coal or using coal, such as a coal-fired plant that had shut down would qualify. Hey everyone, hopefully you're enjoying this week's episode of Two Sides of the Same Mountain. My name is Cooper, and I'm the co-founder of something called Mountaineer Media. What's Mountaineer Media, you ask? Well, the best way I can describe it is we're a communications advocacy group that promotes all things West Virginia. And hey, if you want to help us out, please give this podcast a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. It really does help more West Virginians discover the show. For more West Virginia-related content, go over to mountaineermedia.org. That's mountaineermedia.org, and that's our website, and you'll find all the past episodes and more West Virginia-related content. Now, let's get you right back to this episode. Kayla, do you have any other questions? I don't think I have any more. Is there anything else you want to say to the people of West Virginia that are listening to our bipartisan podcast, Senator? Well, first of all, I appreciate you all doing it in such a bipartisan way. That's the first thing. God bless you for that. You need to work harder on your colleagues, too. They need to understand this is not about Democrats or Republicans. It's about West Virginia. What do we do? How do we transition? How do we survive? How come we only have half of our working population working? Why we have a low workforce in, you know, participation? All of these types of things here. How do we get more people in? How do we get education, training for the skill sets that should be in West Virginia? And without internet, guys, you have the ability this time. Right now, there's enough money coming into the state that there should, that if we don't get it done this time, Kayla and Josh, it's not going to get done. If, you, if we don't basically connect this entire state with internet and broadband capacity, and internet capacity, then God help us all because we will not be able to compete. We will not be able to grow our state and keep the population here in our state if they can't earn a living. And that's what we've got to work on. You've got a chance to get that done. And it's got to be done in a bipartisan way. So just the podcast, being able to communicate, showing both sides, both sides of the fence, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. And that's what we do every day. That's what I do every day in Washington, trying to bring people together. So I appreciate it very much. Uh, we appreciate your leadership, Senator. Okay. Hey, guys, we'll see you soon. And call me. We're, we're here for you. You know what? See you soon. Remember this. We can always agree to disagree as long as we respect each other. That's right. Yeah. Thanks, but Senator. I'll, tell, I'll guarantee one thing. We will agree more than we'll disagree if we respect each other. Okay? Absolutely. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Bless you. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Senator Capito, thanks for joining us for Two Sides of the Same Mountain. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about infrastructure, and uh, we know that this has been something that's uh, really taken uh, a lot of the front seat of, of national media the last few months, and we just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to really explain your position and, and the work that you've done on infrastructure the last few months. So. Um, if you just kind of want to talk about the infrastructure package and uh, your role in that, uh, we'd love yeah. to hear your take on it. All right. Well, th- first of all, let me start by uh, thanking you, Josh and Kayla, for a really good idea. I-, I mean, I know that you guys serve in the legislature together, and I know that you're friends, but I know you probably have a lot of different opinions on certain subjects. 
And this is what we need to do. We need to discuss them in respectful and civil manners and then let people decide which, which side of the mountain they want to fall on. Uh, so I appreciate a great idea. And, and so, yes, infrastructure is something that has traditionally been in Washington um, and in the state, I think a bipartisan um, exercise. Uh, you know, when I think, I, you know, the, where I got into this uh, is basically by virtue of my committee, I'm the ranking member uh, Republican, I'm the lead Republican on the EPW committee, which rewrites the surface transportation bill every five years. That's the, that's the big bill where all the federal dollars come into the state. And then the governor matches that with state funds. And that's where you see big things like, you know, Route 35 out your way, Josh, or, Porter H in through the middle of the state, Coalfields Express, the bridge that's getting fixed uh, as you go over the Nitro St. Albans Bridge, all of that is, a lot of that is federal dollars. And so I was writing a bill with Tom Carper, who's my chairman, and uh, we, we were gonna reauthorize the transportation bill. We also do the same thing with water. But President Biden came forward with a big bipartisan package at the same time, or a big package at the same time. And so I engaged, with the president for about two months uh, as the lead Republican saying this is something we can agree on we can get a deal here well I didn't quite get the deal um, but and I did kind of grease the skids there so that the the others could come in the bipartisan folks could come in in the Senate and you saw uh, in before we left in August we passed a massive uh, about 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure package that goes over five years that has will have massive impacts to West Virginia. I was one of the 19 Republicans that voted for this. And you know, I've gotten criticism from my own party. It's too much spending. But quite frankly, I think spending on roads and, and internet and bridges, and transit and trains and water, uh, those are job creators. Those are going to modernize our transportation system. And it's a lot of it is of things that we've sort of left behind. And so, you know, I can get into some of the details of how it impacts West Virginia, but that's basically, you know, where I, I I got involved and then how passionately I feel about this. It's really great to see that so many senators were able to work together. We know the climate right. isn't great right now, so it's really great. This is something that shouldn't be this partisan of an issue, and I'm glad that it's not. So, yeah, if you could tell us just a, a couple top lines of how it's affecting sure. West Virginia. Well, uh, in the roads and transportation space, we know, and, and I know you guys get these statistics all the time, that West Virginia, for instance, has a lot of bridges that are uh, deficient. And so I was able to get into the highway part of the bill, uh, some, uh, some set aside money for bridges, which is really gonna help West Virginia to the tune of about $500 million. This will be billions of dollars into West Virginia on the roads. It's especially a carve out of about a $1.5 billion, I believe, on uh, quarter H completion. I don't know if you all have driven up there recently. It's getting there, but it still has a ways to go. Uh, it also will help uh, in terms of um, on the transportation side, uh, it, it will also help, you know, electric vehicle infrastructure. You know, we heard, well, there's nothing green in here and all that. That's not true. There is uh, electric charging station infrastructure. There is uh, help on uh, resiliency of materials, um, how to withstand these weather events from climate change. 
So there is a lot built into that, I think, that will help West Virginia as well. But it's not so tight that we can't use it. If, it's, if it has the flexibilities for us to be able to say best way for us to use it, which is obviously going to be different than like Kansas. On the water side, it's hundreds of millions of dollars for water, wastewater. We have abandoned systems. We have leaky pipes. We have lead pipes. We see that up in Clarksburg. So this will help us modernize our water, both on the safe drinking water side, but also on the wastewater side. Broadband, it will be hundreds of millions of dollars. I know we've all talked about this until we're blue in the face. I do think this could be the completion pot of money that we, we really, really need. Uh, once we get our accurate mapping, I think that will be great. On the transit side, uh, we have small transit systems in West Virginia. We certainly have one here in Charleston. We have them uh, all around the state. Uh, this will help with um, modernizing not just their fleet in terms of uh, the climate uh, issue again, but also uh, helping us to adjust in rural America how to best deliver a good transit system. Our airports will uh, be the beneficiary of this on some modernizations. Uh, some of our locks and dams on the river, both going through Kanawha, but also down the Ohio, are pretty old. And so again, that's important for commerce. And uh, there's a uh, some modernization in the bill on that. So as you also capping old abandoned wells, you guys have dealt with this legislature. There's some federal dollars that will help with that and also some mine reclamation dollars much greater than what we have now. So I think West Virginia stands to really be a winner here. Well, and we certainly appreciate all your work on this bill, Senator. Um, if there was one thing in this bill that you have worked on uh, that you wanted to be included that's not currently in there, uh, what would it be and, and why? Boy, that's a good question. You know, it's so comprehensive that uh, I, I can't imagine. Um, I'm more concerned about the creation of some new programs in there and how they're going to be not just how they're going to roll out. And so I'm always trying to get the... Um, the viewpoint of rural America, because in, in Washington, lots of times you can tip the scale a lot towards urban America. And I would use broadband as an example there. You know, are we going to use the broadband money to up the speeds in the more urban areas, or are we going to use it to get to that last house, that last mile, that last business? And so that I think the more specificity and the spending of those dollars would have been what I would have preferred because I've worked on broadband through my Capito Connect program. And this is where I think is critical. We see post-pandemic, more people want to live in more rural America, but if you can't remote work, you're out. And uh, so I think that's critical for our state. I think so too. I'm really excited about the um, orphan wells. Surface owner rights are mm -hmm. really important to me, and I know that's in the weeds for most people, but it's a huge issue here in West Virginia. Um, mm -hmm. What's the most what thing are you most excited about in this package? It's a lot, but what thing gets yeah, you going? Think, you know, I think I'm most excited about, you know, it's the basics. Uh, I mean, I sort of jokingly told somebody since I was so involved with the president on this and have been so involved through my committee assignments, and you guys will get this. I said, just please, when I die, don't put on my on my headstone she loved infrastructure because you know it sounds so boring uh but it's so critical and and i think just the basic safety issues um 
the basic modernization of our highway systems. We still have some incomplete areas in Southern West Virginia, most certainly. I, that to me is the most exciting because I think that's gonna have the greatest impact because access through just your basic, if you're gonna move goods, if you're gonna move people, if you're gonna reside, you've gotta have access and, and the good old fashioned way and, the, and that's the highways. And, and it's to me watching highways being built and complete is kind of a fun thing to see. Yeah, my mom lives right off of the St. Albans exit, which is actually Josh oh. and I, Josh and I's districts uh, butt up in Nitro and then also right there in St. Albans. And it's like, mm -hmm. we just got electric vehicles in Nitro, the police department did. And then oh. seeing the exit for Nitro St. Albans, it's going really quick and it looks awesome. So I'm really excited. Yeah. I know it's been pretty disruptive out there. So uh, people just going to have to uh, tell your mom to hang in there. <laughs> oh yeah, she she just retired, so she has no more worries at all. But uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. it's gonna it's always been a mess. So I think we can hang on a little longer. It's been yeah. unsafe too, and that I think is the critical part. Definitely, been a lot of accidents out there. Yeah, Senator, what uh, I mean, you spent a lot of time with Joe Biden during this process. Uh, mm -hmm. First of all, tell us what is he like in person, mm -hmm. and uh, how, how well does he work with Republicans like you? You know, I did. I had a couple of meetings in the Oval Office, uh, and one meeting and specifically was just me and the president. He had a couple staff people in there. I mean, you know, that, that's not an everyday occurrence for me. I've been in Washington a, a pretty long time, but uh, this is, was this was an exceptional experience for me, and and pretty cool actually. Uh, he's a very um, friendly person. You know, he likes to talk. He's 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 a political kind of guy. You know. Um, likes to tell stories from the old Senate, uh, things like that. negotiate like a senator. I don't think most presidents really feel like they're still negotiating as a senator like he does. And, and so, so his staff has to keep pulling him back saying, no, 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 you know, don't overpromise. So, you know, he, uh, you know, was very involved, uh, you know, all the stories of, and I've told this numerous times, you know, these stories of that he's not clicking on all cylinders and all that. Absolutely. I did not find that to be true at all. He was very, very engaged, very specific, very knowledgeable because he has all he's dealt with all these issues for years over his uh, course of the almost 40 years of public service. So, I mean, I I had a good personal feeling. Uh, I talked to him on the phone several times. Uh, and, you know, so I, I really the access was really, really good. Uh, in the end, uh, I didn't feel that where we, where we fell apart was I didn't feel that he was um, moving enough in my direction. And I'm sure he felt the same thing about me. So we uh, characterized it. He called me on a Friday and it was basically the pre-breakup call where, uh, you know, you call somebody and you, you know, you're talking and you're going, no, I'm not going <laughs> to see you this weekend. And it's really me. It's not you. And uh, so I got that call. Uh, and then, but, but I did was able to move the ball forward enough so that the other group could pick up and go with it. And then I was still involved in the process. So it was, it was, a, he, he told me all of these Jennings Randolph stories, who of course was my <laughs> predecessor, who of course beat my dad in 1978. Uh, and, and Biden was telling me how he went out and campaigned for him. And I finally had to tell him, you know, you were campaigning against my father. <laughs> so he laughed, he laughed about that. Yeah. West Virginia is small like that. Um, it so, is. Yeah, this episode's actually, it's an interview with you and then an interview with Senator Manchin too. Mm -hmm. We would love to hear just a little bit about 
your all's relationship. We hear so much about Joe and we know you guys are close friends and you work so well together and we love that. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks. Yeah. And uh, I've known Joe Manchin. We've known each other since the mid seventies. Uh, our families were good friends and uh, our paths have crossed. Obviously now they're really crossing, but you know, <laughs> through the years. And uh, I characterized our relationship as a brother and sister relationship. Um, and you love your brother sometimes, and sometimes <laughs> you want to wring his neck. And, and that's sort of how Joe and I are now. He didn't really like that too much because I said, don't you want to wring my neck sometimes? And he said, no, but I think he was just trying to be nice. Uh, and so, you know, that feeling. And, and sometimes when I see him out there, obviously he's very prominent. He's on every show. He does all these kinds of things. Uh, I work differently than he does, obviously. And sometimes I think, wow, that's really great that he can do that. And sometimes I want to, when he gets on a limb, I want to take that saw and saw it off, you know? <laughs> but um, we, we have, you know, we call each other all the time. We talk all the time. So, you know, we disagree. And when we disagree, we just move on. I mean, it's not, we don't even really, you know, occasionally we'll try to persuade one another to our, 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 our way of thinking. But, you know, when it becomes pretty obvious that we're, we're going to be unsuccessful, we just move on. Yeah. And we've worked on a lot of really good things together. One being this infrastructure package, uh, creating the national park down at New River uh, Gorge, which has been a game changer down yeah. there. So, yeah, we, we've worked a lot together on things that local things. Uh, and so uh, I think we really it strengthens our state because you're really coming at it from a, both a Republican and a Democrat side. Uh, a lot of times there's more infighting between senators when they have both of both senators from the same party, you know, so we get along very well. I think Josh and I both understand that very well. <laughs> <clears throat> so um, uh, we appreciate you coming on today to sure. talk about this. Uh, I know infrastructure is clearly a very important topic for a lot of people. Um, let's talk about jobs specifically, and let's talk about uh, exactly how much money West Virginia is going to get from this. Um, uh, talk, talk details, uh, how much money for infrastructure is West Virginia going to receive? Mm -hmm. Well, in, in the, in the, there are different pockets of money. So, you know, you, you could have, it will be billions, uh, billion, I would say, you know, close to $3.5 billion all in, uh, and, you know, over five years. Uh, and I think it will be more, most of the bulk of the money will be in the highway areas and there will be certain pots of money there. There'll be the, uh, the Appalachian highway, which is quarter H there's some specific money for that. I think I said 1.5 billion. Uh, I might, I might've been overstating that, but it's quite significant hundreds of millions in the wastewater and water into the revolving funds, which our communities rely on. And, and so many of our water systems are so old. Yeah. that they really need. Um, and this is a chance to really do it. Uh, I would say uh, over a hundred million in uh, broadband and that will probably come, you know, I think the broadband council needs to be very uh, 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 upfront here and, and prominent because I think they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to really guide where and how this goes. It's going through the department of commerce this time instead of the FCC. So that'll have a little bit different wrinkle. There's more money in there for the EDA. Uh, $5 billion, which is, I questioned whether that was too much money in a small agency that's normally a $300 million agency. 
But for instance, we were just down in Huntington and uh, uh, there were EDA grants for a nursing program for uh, a small business to be able to get some infrastructure. That program is really tailored towards uh, underserved and unserved communities like ours. And so I, I think we stand to get, I, I can't quantify that because those are grants, but we have a great uh, reach into that. The ARC gets more money. Obviously, Gail Manchin's head of the ARC now, so West Virginia's getting a good, good look there. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, it's billions, you know, I said 3.5 billion, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge amount of money for us. And we can't squander this opportunity. We've got to spend it wisely. And that's where you all, I think, as legislators uh, would be good to have some kind of oversight. I know this has been a push and pull on, on the COVID dollars, uh, but I think here again, you're on the ground, you know where the real needs are. I, I remember those days when I was in the dele House delegates. Hey guys, one more break. I just want to further elaborate on what Mountaineer Media is. So as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, when I interrupted this great interview that Josh and Kayla are running here on two sides of the same mountain, Mountaineer Media is the communications group behind this podcast. But we actually have another podcast. We originally founded this, my two partners, Mason and CJ, in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. We said, hey, look, we love West Virginia. We want to connect people that feel separated. So we set out to interview a new West Virginian every single week. And that's the Mountaineer Media Podcast. You can find that on Spotify and Apple. And essentially, CJ and I interview famous West Virginians, people like John Chambers, U.S. Senators, Emily Calandrelli, Gordon Gee, even the guy who captured Pablo Escobar, Steve Murphy, and got a Netflix show based on his life. So if you enjoy this podcast about West Virginia, you may enjoy Mountaineer Media Podcast. Simply go over to mountaineermedia.org, like I mentioned earlier, and you'll find all of our content. Over on mountaineermedia.org, you'll also find cool West Virginia merchandise. We've got some cool tailgating shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got hats, and a bunch more stuff. We actually also partnered with 15 individual bloggers and allow them to write about their West Virginia passions and we could not be more appreciative because they are pumping out incredible stories. Everything from hiking reviews to West Virginia economic analysis to much, much more. All of that is over at mountaineermedia.org. We thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you do enjoy this, please consider giving us a review and rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you so much. And now let's finish out this episode. Last question. Do you have any advice for us? Oh, gosh. I think, <laughs> you know, as, as I think it's great that you're doing this together. Uh, you know, I, I would just remind people that you know, in 1996, when I was in the House of Delegates, number one, every time I walked onto the floor of the House of, House of Delegates, it just filled me with pride for our state. Yeah. I never lost that feeling. And I feel that way today in the United States Capitol, too. I never lost that feeling. I felt like I learned something every day. And I asked Martha Worley one time, who was a state senator from uh, Charleston, who was very prominent. Uh, and she, and I, she served for 10 years, and then she then she left voluntarily. And I said, what made you decide to leave? And she said, it's when you start, when you start to lose the feeling that I can make an impact or I want to make an impact. And I haven't lost that feeling yet, but she said, you know, that's when she decided it was time for her to go. And she said, but uh, you know, I love, so in, in embrace it. It's so much fun. And uh, the nice thing for you guys is I know you have interims and you go around all year, but you, at least you have 60 days. At least you got that, that midnight where it ends. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't have that anymore. <laughs> I never have this. I never, I'm in the never ending story. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think you just learn so much and you make good friends across the aisle that you're going to run into later in life. And that I, I get to do that too. Even, even 22 years ago. Brent Boggs and I came in together, Aww. so I always remind him of that. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Brent's great. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's good to humanize that we we are friends and there yeah. are friends under the dome. We're getting work done, and we might not agree, but we can be friends still. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the ones that are there for the reasons that, that that maybe don't agree with your reasons, just forget about them. You know, <laughs> don't let them get under your skin. You know, yeah. just let them do their thing, and you do yours. That's what I, that's what I try to do. Well, that's the only way to accomplish anything, Senator. And, and, and you know that, that you have to work well with people. And uh, that's something that Kayla and I have tried to accomplish. And that's something that uh, I, I think will, will really come out of this podcast is showing that two people of two different parties can work together and uh, we can all come together to try to improve West Virginia. So uh, we, we really do appreciate you, you coming on the uh, sure. show today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your, for your time. leadership, both of you. All right. 